Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi, mindful listeners. Thank you so much for being here and spending part of your day with us. Listen, as I said before, usually try to give you evergreen content, meaning you can click on a show, you're going to get good content no matter what time of the year, no matter what year it is. But right now we are in probably a period that's not going away for a long time. And that's our COVID quarantine pandemic crisis. And so we're going to keep helping people through this with tips and tricks. And one of the challenges I've seen, uh, certainly in my clinical practice and in my loved ones and in my family, in fact, is if you have an existing or a history of an eating disorder, this time can be pretty challenging. There are challenges, especially with moms with eating disorders um, or people who have recovered that are facing those problems now um, in this new environment where food is, well, food is a lot. And I've said before, food is a lot in our society. It Surely we want to use it as nourishment because that's kind of what diet means, your habitual, you know, how you habitually nourish yourself, but it can be used for comfort. And these are challenging and troubling and anxiety-ridden times. It can be used for celebration. It can be used certainly as medicine. It can be used Uh, for so many different things. So I have a guest that's going to help us through this. Her name is Dr. Allison Chase. She's the regional clinical director at the Eating Disorder Center in Austin, Texas. And she has been working in the field of eating disorder treatment for over 20 years. So Dr. Chase, thank you so much for being here. Let's get into this. Yeah, that um, you know, your mention of the the relevance of food in our life is is so significant because it's necessary, right? It's one of those kind of things that we can't live without. And so, what makes it so complicated is for those that have an unhealthy relationship with food, and I say that in the sense that food becomes a way to manage one's emotions, and that's what we see in eating disorders. It food is about mis you know a way to deal with mismanaged emotions and so it becomes a really unhealthy coping strategy and we know we can't live without it so it makes it even more complicated because it's around for all of those reasons as you described everything from celebrations to nourishment so it's um it's it makes it even more difficult especially in a time like this where anxiety and depression are are just soaring yeah. And you know, I mean, I've heard people joke that we don't want this. I mean, I've heard it more than anything that we don't want this to be, you know, COVID gain 19 um, pounds, that is. Yep. Right. So yep. because yes. 
you know, what has been sort of one of the things that we um, are struggling to do is get creative with movement and exercise, which um, is pretty important for wellness. And it's also important for people who are controlling their weight and their, you know, their health metrics when it comes to cardiovascular, bone health, all of that stuff. But without gyms or without the community that you had in classes or what have you, that is there. And then also, um, food is different. It's, there's a, there's a, there's a lot more going on at home. Um, there, and if it, depending on people's resources and skills, you might be ordering in more often just because there's not the dining out and the choices that used to be there. I mean, I can imagine that there are so many triggers just facing people that have either recovered or have an active eating disorder. Most definitely everything from the the scarcity of food. So somebody who um, is a very restrictive eater uh, suffering from anorexia nervosa or potentially, um, you know, leading down that path or newly in recovery from it, they're often um, looking at food in a very, um, very restricted and prescribed way. So there tend to be certain things in their diets, right? So if if that is not so available in our in our stores today and around, it's going to really increase someone's discomfort and anxiety. Um, and, you know, the same way going towards those that are engaging in binge eating behavior, um, using food for that emotional connection. When there is food that's around in a way that's not being sort of monitored very well, that also becomes a, a really very big challenge. So the triggers really run the whole gamut. Um, and that's what makes eating disorders so, so prevalent and so complicated um, that we have those on the end of those that are such severe restrictors. And so we have the challenges of that at this time, as, as well as those that are engaging in binging behavior. And of course, to mention those that are using really unhealthy um, strategies like purging or over-exercising or things like that in order to try to manage their calories. So it, uh, all of that becomes really difficult at a time like this. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll speak from just my limited experience for myself because I want to definitely get into how folks can manage these triggers. Sure. Um, but I, when this all started, and I think, I don't think that I have, um, what is it, orthorexia? Like um, when you have a uh -huh. uh, sort of a dependency on eating one way or another, but I, I kind of do throughout my, I, I walked my talk and I kind of have a dependency on fresh food. <laughs> um, and I realized at the beginning of this, when the unknown was so great and mm -hmm. you were seeing the lines snaking around uh supermarkets and you were wondering like I had fresh food anxiety like I was mm -hmm. scouring the internet and trying to get a you know a, a delivery time scheduled and I literally and and I, I saw myself settle down once I understood that that is not a problem like I'm going to be able to source my ingredients and like but it was real like it when you when you talk about food scarcity and just what you know, especially if you're controlled in one way. And for me, I feel like even though um, I, you know, I it's a, a more healthier control. I definitely have control uh, issues when it comes to my intake. And I, it was it it, it it was bothersome. It was it kind of took over my life for three or four days in order for me to like figure out how I'm going to survive. Um, now I think that that's a just one example. There are other deeper examples of folks that struggle, you know, as you say, with 
anorexia nervosa where there's a, a, a pattern of binging and purging and things. So how can, with these triggers in this time where there is an unknown and food mm-hmm. is at the center of it once again, um, how can folks manage these triggers? I think one of the things that's really important to keep in mind is I was listening to you describe your example of of feeling that that panic to not be able to have um, what is comfortable to you, right? The being able to have like that fresh food and keep it all within a certain sort of a certain limit at a certain type, and right that what we what we do is we use that to to manage really like our anxiety around or you know around this sort of unknown world. So with that said, ways in which that we can challenge and tackle those uncomfortable feelings and emotions will in turn really help us with the food piece of it. So there's very much being um, very proactive with being really clear about making sure that you're, you know, you structure things in a certain way to make sure you get all the nutrients that you need during a time like this. And it's also in contrast to make sure that that you have um, more of a prescribed meal plan so that you don't have um, opportunities that that lead to um, overeating that feels really uncomfortable and, and unhealthy. And in order to do that, you really want to be tuned into all those uncomfortable feelings and figuring out how to find that that mindful place, right? How do we how do we problem solve when we recognize that things are so uncomfortable for us. You know, how do we go ahead and like you had mentioned, you know, I recognize I stopped, I recognize that I'm going to be okay, that I'm going to have what I need in a couple days. And that would be a really good strategy for um, those to use when they are finding themselves starting to get in that that panicked sort of anxiety kind of um, experience. The best thing that you can do is calm yourself down, right? Being mindful, using that breath that we sometimes take for granted and realizing that if we can calm down that, you know, sympathetic nervous system that's in overdrive, it could have an incredible response on um, reducing our anxiety and, and helping us to calm down and to think more clearly. I mean, it's truly what the show is all about. It's like mindful medicine. Can we mm-hmm. can we slow down and use our minds to make better decisions uh, from a wellness perspective for for ourselves and our families and such? And um, you know, mindfulness for my my the clinic that I'm working in, I lead um, a mindful moment just because everybody is so dispersed and not together anymore. We have these mindful moments on on Mondays and Thursdays, and in leading them. Mindfulness is takes an effort. It takes um it takes uh, some discipline because, especially you know, we talk about the um, the food triggers and the, the the challenges in COVID. You know, we're more dependent on these devices that have been proven to be quite addictive, right? Mm-hmm. And so it leads to mind mindlessness, <laughs> in a sense. Right. And so there's such challenges because there's double whammies and, you know, it's a, it's a very peculiar environment. And that's why it's really important. Um, to, so part of the mindfulness piece is being really aware of when you're watching patterns of your behavior that are slipping to unhealthy places. So that is one of the, the, the sort of pieces and components that are really important for those that are currently suffering from an eating disorder or those that have in the past where they're watching old patterns or habits coming back, things like all of a sudden being overly obsessed with the food and what they're eating and how they're sourcing it and, um, and you know, how often 
all of that is on their mind all the time, as well as the obsessiveness with over-exercise is a, is a great example. You mentioned everybody's trying to stay healthy and give themselves some sanity by sort of getting out and exercising, but we really want to be cautious about using that in a way that is managing our emotions and not very healthy for our body. So, so often what happens is those that engage in over-exercising are not putting in enough nutrients to balance out for their body. And they're feeling things like exhaustion and dehydration and all the things that happen. And it's really important to keep in mind and watch for, especially if you have a history, the kinds of things that are feeling unhealthily familiar that remind you more of that time where um, you were struggling so much. That's such a great indicator. And not only for the individuals, but for loved ones as well. Loved ones want to be keeping an eye out for that and not be afraid to indicate that they're getting worried because we, because eating disorders are a very slippery slope and we see it in, in young adolescents and children as well as adults. It can, it can take over and take over very quickly. And we just don't want that to happen because the physical dangers are tremendous as well as the emotional. Right. And I mean, and I don't mean to be, um, what would I say? I, I don't, I don't mean for this to be, um, you know, I don't take this lightly, but in at this time too, you want to keep yourself physically safe because one, you don't want to burden an already right now burdened healthcare system, yes. but yes. also you don't want to have to be in a place where you then have less control over your um, environment when it comes to immune safety and um, mm-hmm. uh, where there might be more infection because it's in a healthcare setting. Um, it's you know something I think people the risk reward. Uh, option that I'm having people go through when they're like, Hey, should we go car camping, you know, or backpacking? Cause yes, outside is not closed. Right. But you mm-hmm. know, what's the risk reward, you know, with driving and maybe your tire goes out or you, you know, you roll an ankle and, or there's, you know, something that happens, you know, it, all of those things that we need to think about. And so physically you're right. That's a slippery slope and that can be um, detrimental for folks with this, with this history. So you mentioned before we were connected while, while we were connecting that you were mm-hmm. in your off, office. Um, yes. So Tell me about telehealth visits, because obviously the way we are practicing medicine is changing. It has changed. It has had to change. We've all been pivoting. Um, how, how appropriate is that when somebody is in need of help? And you're asking a really good question, and it's it's interesting. I was thinking the same. I was thinking sort of along those same lines when you were talking <clears throat> about need, like needing to be careful about not overtaxing our healthcare system, right? If if somebody's not keeping themselves physically healthy and and doing that, and so that was one of the reasons that we actually um, at our at our centers have maintained both on site options for treatment as well as telehealth. So we continue to have on-site options. Now keep in mind, we've taken all precautions and um, you know safety for our patients as well as um, our staff, of course. But one of the things that, or the reasons why we do it is because we know with eating disorders, if, if one is not making um, gains and success 
you know, so to speak, um, in many ways, they will end up in a medical facility, which is really not, we don't need them taking up beds right now for things like dehydration and, um, and you know, and the low body weight and, and all of that. So for that reason, for those that are not able to engage in, um, in a telehealth manner and not able to follow through with the, the, the behavioral needs that are helpful, which is keeping to a meal plan in, in whichever capacity or not resisting the temptation to be um, engaging in purging behaviors numerous times a day, whatever, whatever it may be for that reason, that person, if there is any medical necessity, they really need to be in an on-site facility. Now, telehealth is a wonderful option for those that are able to respond and kind of do the the work that needs to be done with the support of utilizing um, the skills in group interaction. And we provide a really comprehensive program. So getting individual therapy and family therapy and medical monitoring and psychiatric care, we're, we're doing all that via telehealth. And it's great for so many individuals. It just depends on on one's stability and whether or not um, one is continuing to go down a path where we're not seeing improvement in their eating disorder behaviors. So you, so and telehealth. Let me ask you this um, because I want to give people resources. Uh-huh. You're in Austin. Um, does your license allow you to practice nationwide, or is it confined to the state of Texas? Well, here's what's so awesome is that, um, so Eating Recovery Center, we are actually located nationwide. And so at all of our centers, we actually have 28 centers across the um, United States. And so all of our centers have different levels of treatment on site, as well as um, providing telehealth for um, for our state and surrounding states. So we have done our due diligence in which states are allowing us to practice with our Texas license. And we have actually applied to those states in order to be able to um, to treat those in the states that will allow us in Texas to. So it's, you know, and so we have done that in order to be able to provide care for those that are in um, states and areas where we don't have like a facility in that state. So it's been, it's been fantastic. So like in, in for our, our Texas um, program, telehealth programs, both partial hospital as well as intensive outpatient, you know, we are able to serve those that are in, you know, Louisiana, for instance, that would be, that's that would great. be a state that there's reciprocity a, a, among other ones. And each of our different regions, we have, we have, um, compiled which states we can do that with. We do not want anyone to be without treatment and resources throughout the country. It's just, it's, it's too deadly of a disorder to yep. let that happen. And, yeah, um, and, and I, ex- I say, I say that very passionately because sure. I mean it very passionately. Somebody is dying from an eating disorder every hour. So this is, this is not a disorder that we, we want anybody to be without, um, without care. And no. so this is allowing this to happen, which is awesome. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and that's why I asked, it's like, you know, this is such incredible information and I'm sure that um, people haven't been thinking about this, but it's a real situation, especially in the time of quarantine and COVID. And I want folks to have resources. So I'm going to give you the website listeners, it's eatingrecoverycenter.com. And it's so important um, because it's like, I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor and I'm, I can pr- practice primary care here in California. Um, and then we're only licensed in 
um, about 26 states at this point in time. And it's it's uh-huh. funny because being the chair of the Institute for Natural Medicine, which is kind of just making the public aware that there's other systems of medicine that might be more appropriate um, in our modern day and to think things through, like you said, and identify and treat the cause and do all these things as a licensed naturopathic doctor. But it's, you know, we, we pump out content and, you know, go to find our, our, you know, find an ND search and then somebody, you know, who's in Georgia, which is an unlicensed state or in Texas mm-hmm. that, you know, goes like, wait, wait, I want that. Come on. And then we can't give them those resources. It's, it's something we're constantly um, thinking about and, and, and trying to solve for. So I'm so happy that you've done your due diligence. And so listeners, wherever you are out there, eatingrecoverycenter.com, if you need some telehealth and some support during this time, please know that it's there. Dr. Chase, thank you for all of your work and, and, um, and and the work that you do. And please continue to stay safe and and stay sane. Thank you so much. And I, I wish the same to you. Thank you. And listeners, once again, thank you. You as well. Stay safe out there and we will see you next time.